Salty Life. And so the, the idea for this series came through an encounter that I had with a, a gentleman at Publix. And, and he walked up behind me and he, he asked me these words to me. So I hear you're a Christian. So I turn around. And he attends our church, sits over here on the third row by the, the, on the 8.30 service. And so I talk with him a little bit, and we hang out for a bit in the line at Publix, um, because Publix is my second home, right, because it's on the way home. And so I'll call Raina and say, do you need anything from Publix? And she'll go, oh, no. Well, <laughs> any husbands know what that's like? Well, if you want to, well, I wouldn't have called if I didn't want to. Well... And for a note, I'm getting this text on my phone of like 15 items to get from Publix. <laughs> so I get in my car and I'm headed home and, and God just completely wrecks me in that, Jason, if you, if you weren't a pastor, would that guy, having been watching your life, know that you're a Christian? See, because I have a platform here, and you all, I do this every week, and I do it uh, most days of the week. And, and so, like, it's, it's really easy for me to puff my chest out and say, well, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. But with those closest to me go, hey, would my wife say he acted like a Christian today? He, he, he was the salt of the earth today. Would, would my children say, yeah, my dad killed it today. He, he was actually a Christian today. And so those words just rang so true in my heart, like, so it's so much so, I told some of you this last week, so much so that I drove past my neighborhood. I drove all the way to the inlet because I couldn't, I could not get the thought out of my head. And so that's where this series is kind of born out of, of am I living a salty life? Is Jason Byers living a salty life? Now, what does salt do? It flavors, it preserves, and makes you thirsty, right? And it's bad for your blood pressure. So much so, my doctor has banned me from country ham. And Red Bull. So, this is why I go on hunting trips. Because she told my wife this too. So, when Raina's not with me, Dylan and I hit every Cracker Barrel we can find. So, last October, I'm in Georgia. I know, I know. I sent you a picture. I know you knew what I was doing. I sent a picture of country ham. Sweet tea in defiance. Dana, it was in defiance. I totally, I sent it right to her and she was like, you're going to die. I said, I'm going to die happy. So I can no longer eat country ham while I'm in state, I guess I should say. But if you, you look at Matthew, the scripture right here, Matthew, Matthew 5.13 spells it out for us. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So here we have this idea. Jesus is telling the disciples, uh, so, so you, you take salt making you thirsty, then you take the idea of Jesus being living water, water. So then he tells the disciples, you are the salt of the earth. He knows he's going to go away. And so he's leaving the church, the New Testament church, in the disciples' hands. He's saying, look, you are the salt of the earth. You, I'm leaving you with the responsibility of making the world thirsty for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's telling them, like, you're, you're the salt of the world. And so we explained it last week in, in the sense of a scale. So on this side, you have the world. 
which we love the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. And then over here, you would have Christianity in its purest form, acting the way Jesus taught us to act. And on that scale, the salt, God left us here as Christians to hold the balance of living in a gnarly, gnarly world. We're responsible for that. We're responsible for, for being light in darkness and being salt of the earth and, and, and preserving the good things of this great country God's lived us, uh, allowed us to live, us in, live in. And, and he's called us to, to preserve those things and to bring flavor to those who are in our life and to make people who don't know Jesus thirsty for Jesus. That's huge, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely huge because like, there's so many different layers of Christianity because you can do the surface layer, right? You can do surface layer, and you can be like, yeah, I go to church a couple times a month. I've, yeah, I think I read my Bible one time. Sometime I read something in there. Or you can go a little bit deeper and go, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm really, you know, I'm faithful, but I could do better. And then you get to the point, you, you get all the way down to the bottom layer, and you have to hear these words if you really want to be a, a, like serious about your journey with God. Jesus is looking at you and I today saying, you, me, we are the salt of the earth. So when I get mad at someone and yell at someone and do sign language because they cut me off in traffic, (laughs) and then I cruise past them on the back of my car, honk if you love Jesus. They ain't honking at you because they love Jesus. They're honking at you because they're about to shoot at you. We're the salt of the earth. And so every day of our life, we, we, have to, we have to take advantage of opportunities to be salty. Now, we were in Romans last week, and, and I, I started thinking as I'm, I'm working on this message, who besides Jesus in the Bible for my own personal life makes me really want to be a godly man? And for me, it's David. David, I'm a studier of David. I have studied David for years. I've read books about David. I, I love David. David makes me feel good about myself because David allows me to be a man. David allows me to fail. David allows me to make good decisions, and David allows me to make bad decisions. But at the end of the day, God looks upon David and says, he's a man after my own heart. Let's look at Acts right here where Paul's quoting. After removing Saul, Acts thirteen twenty-two, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. This is God talking. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, would you speak to us through your word, get me out of the way so you can get in our way and help us to be better for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, here's the great thing about David. David did some stuff God didn't want him to do, but he did everything God wanted him to do. So number one, David lived a salty life through being obedient. 1 Samuel 16, 10 through 11, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep, Samuel said. Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Obedience. Think about that word for a second and think about how counter-American culture that word is. Any teenagers in here? Lift your feet up right now. When your parents ask you to do something and you don't want to do it, you know that little thing that rises up in you? 
Right? Hey, could you go please clean your room? And you go in there and you're kicking stuff around, throwing it under. Right? Can I get amen? All right, so any parents of teenagers in this room right now? All right, now, now you pick your feet up. Are you being obedient to what the Word of God says in His Bible and how to raise your children? <laughs> That's not bad. In my marriage, am I being obedient to cherish and to obey? See, obedience is just this obscure idea to the rest of the world, especially America, that we live in because we're taught if you don't want to do it, don't do it. If you don't feel like doing it, don't do it. Instead of being taught, you know what, I'm supposed to honor my mother and father, I'm supposed to honor my wife, I'm supposed to honor my husband, and I'm going to be obedient into what this Word of God says and how I should treat them. Obedience is a to- it's like It's a a non-concept for most of the world. But we're the salt of the earth. So we're holding the the scale down on this side of obedience. We should be. So I'm salty by being obedient. In other words, when when people see someone who is, is submissive to their boss at work, even if their boss is a jerk, they look at that person and go, oh, you're just a doormat. And in your own heart, you mean like, yeah, you can say that if you want to. I'm, I'm not a doormat. I'm a child of God, and I'm submitting to authority just like the Bible tells me to. Being obedient. And what that will do at some point, that's going to make people around you very, very thirsty for whatever you've got going on in your life. David was very attractive. And I don't mean like in, in our society, we take that word to mean good-looking. That's not what attractive means. Attractive is being someone who draws others to them. David was very attractive. Jesus was the most attractive man that ever walked the face of the earth, obviously, because we see most of the time when uh, Jesus is mentioned in the Scripture, and there were multitudes. And Jesus spoke, and there were multitudes. And Jesus spoke, and there were multitudes. And there were so many people, he had to get in a boat and push off so he could teach you out of the boat. Da-da-da-da-da-da. David was very attractive. He's attracted to God. We just read about his heart, and he was attracted, uh, attractive to people because men went to battle for him because he was salty. So are we living our life in such a way that we're making people thirsty? Number two, David lived a salty life because of God's favor. 1 Samuel 16, 12 through 13. So he went for him. Now remember, if, you, if you've never read the Bible before, Samuel is a prophet of God, He's been told Saul's going to be replaced as king, and he's supposed to go to Jesse's house and anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the king. So he went for him and had brought him in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and had handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. Verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So here's the story. Samuel goes to Jesse's house. Jesse has all of the people, all of the brothers lined up. And here's David, and he's not even in the picture. So here are all the brothers, and Samuel goes down the line. God, is it him? Nope. God, surely it's him. He's good looking. Nope. God, surely it's him. He's really built well. Nope. God, surely it's him. And he goes, And then Samuel looks at Jesse because Samuel knows God has sent me here. 
God has sent me here to anoint the new king of Israel. So Samuel looks at Jesse and says, Hey, Dad, do you have any other boys? Is there anyone else? Because Samuel knows he heard from God. And at this moment, Jesse's like, Well, yeah, I do. But he's on the backside of our farm watching sheep. Surely, I'm paraphrasing, surely you don't want me to... And, and so what's David doing? David's doing what his father asked him to do. He's being obedient. And through his obedience, not only to his dad, but throughout his life to do what God had called him to do, God's favor rests on David. So Samuel says, stop. Wait a minute. No, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, so, so here comes, so Samuel takes the, he says, look, we're not even going to sit down. Until he gets here. Because, you know, this is serious business. God's about to anoint the next king of Israel. And so here comes David coming over. And I can imagine David being so obedient that they go out and ask him, Hey, look, you got to go. Nope, dad told me to watch these sheep. No, you got to go. No, the last time I left one of these sheep, I got my... I'm not leaving. Yeah, David, the, the prophet Samuel. And when Samuel's name came out, David's probably like, oh. So David shows up. He sees all of his brothers standing in a line, right? Because Samuel said, you ain't going to sit down until he gets here. And so David's probably thinking, well, I, why wasn't I invited to the party? What's going on here? And God speaks, hey. That, so so he, he, he shows up, handsome. He's glowing. And God tells Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And then verse 13, talking about God's favor. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went on to Ramah. God's favor. And you say, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about God's favor, and a lot of people just butcher it up. You think about think about Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is, is, is she's hanging out one day, and an angel of the Lord shows up and says, Hey, you who are highly blessed and favored by God. Why? Because she had lived her life in such a way that she she was worthy of God's favor. There's nothing mystical or magical about God's favor. It's about being obedient to what the good book says. It's about living the best you can in reference to what this book says. And by the way, you got to read it before you can live that way. You can't just get it on Sunday. And I wish it worked like this, but it doesn't. Download, God, right now. Download. Nope. You got to read it. So I'm obedient to the way that God says I should live my life. And through that obedience and walking by the fruit of the Spirit, somehow, some way, I can't totally explain the favor of God rests on my life. Does the favor of God say your life is going to be perfect? No. David's life was nowhere near perfect. Does the favor of God say it's going to be easy? No. His life was nowhere easy. Talk to him about hiding out in caves and running from a king that wanted to kill him. No. But it does mean that I'm doing what I can. I'm praying every day. I'm reading my Bible every day. And I'm walking step by step by the fruit of the Spirit and doing what I can do to allow God's favor to rest on me. I get so tired of hearing people saying, well, God... They just must be God's favorite. The Bible says God is no respecter of person. Maybe they're doing something you hadn't got a hold of yet, and maybe you need to go deeper in the Word and say, God, I know I'm the apple of your eye, and I'm going to tap into this formula, and maybe it will actually work, and things in my life will start working out. 
Just saying. It's a good idea. Good concept. Number three, salty life. David lived a salty life by being brave and courageous. This is a whole message, obviously, a lot of, most of you know. It's amazing to me how many people have never read the Bible, but it, if you walked up to him on the street and said David and Goliath immediately, everybody knows that, right? They may not know where it came from, but they, they understand it. David lived a salty life by being brave and courageous. Now, remember, we're bu- building a formula right here. So we're going from obedient, David was obedient, into through that obedience, God's favor rests on him. And now we're about to see through the first two. Number three is brave and courageous. First Samuel 17, 41 through 49. Meanwhile, the Philistines with a shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with, with health. Glowing with health. I love that. And handsome. And he despised him. He said to David, and this is Goliath talking, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands as the Philistines move closer to attack him. David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sunk into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. I can't wait to see this in real time in heaven. This is just amazing. And again, there's there's a whole message here. Here, Here's my point. If, if If you operate in the obedience of what you know is right, the favor of God rests on your life. And when the favor of God rests on your life, you walk with a different boldness, braveness, and courageousness in your life, in your marriage, with your kids, at your workplace. There's a difference that will come about you. I've got an older brother. His name's Jeff. And Jeff was a great older brother. I mean, he beat me up a lot, and that, but just did brother stuff. But it, he, he, was, he taught me how to tie a tie, taught me how to shave, taught me, you know, taught me a lot of stuff in my life. Uh, taught me what it was to be a real brother, be real with yourself. Um, and we, we grew up in a pretty decently um, nasty, rough place. And so I would go play. I never forget this feeling. I would go places that maybe I'd been with my brother before to play basketball or to play do whatever. And there was a fear that I had because um, I wasn't exactly like everybody else that was around there. And it was a really rough place. place and there was just a lot of bad stuff that went on. And, and I would kind of be always on edge. But I never had that feeling when my big brother was with me. Does that make sense? I never did. Like I'm... Let's do this. Let's, let's do this, right? But, but so later in life, I really, I really have pondered, like, that's how we should be being children of God 
We shouldn't cower every time we get an email that we don't like, every time our boss says there might be cutbacks, every time we, we, you know, maybe you blow it in your marriage and you want to cower. Why don't you just say you're sorry and do better next time? Maybe you blow it with your kids. Be brave in being a parent. Be brave and courageous and just do better and work at getting better. David went at the giant in his life, brave and courageous. Think about that. The Philistine, it didn't say Goliath's running towards him. It says the Philistines were running towards him. And it says when the Philistines started running towards him, he said, down said, hut, hut. Let's get it on right now. Why? Because he's living in obedience. He's, he's the favor of God's resting on him. And David thought, thought so much that God was real that he knew, and that's why when David showed up to the battle lines, he could not understand why God's armies were laying around in fear. He couldn't get it. He just could not get it. And I would submit to you today, if we're going to live a salty life through obedience, through favor, and then through being brave and courageous, the world's going to look at us one day and go, hey, they're pretty bold, not annoying. Right? They're just secure in who they are in God. And it's a wonderful, brilliant, amazing thing to be secure in who you are in God. God's no respecter of persons. He's not going to do something for David. He didn't do, he won't do for us. So if you've got a giant in your life, run headlong at that thing and ask God to deliver you from whatever that giant is in your life and let those around you see how you're brave in your faith and you're courageous in your faith and it's going to make them thirsty because our whole world lives in fear. Perfect love cast out some fear. Perfect love cast out all fear. So if we're fearful in our own nature, which we are because we're flesh, but if we struggle with fear on a daily basis, there's a disconnect from what God has already done for us because Jesus Christ was the perfect love. He died on the cross for us. And so now we can operate in total faith total submission, total surrender to the idea that God has our back. And that's why I was telling the story about my brother. When he was around, I knew he had my back. I always knew he had my back. And so it, it relieved the fear that I would have about certain situations that I might be caught up in. Had my back. No worries. This week, I double dog dare you with a cherry on top. Whipped cream on the side. To, to try to with a, and, and I hate preaching stuff like this because this means I'm going to have to do this this week. That's what the Bible says. But I, I dare you to try to have a, a, a cognizant effort to live without fear. And when fear comes in, take that thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Lay it at his feet and walk away from it. And when it comes back, do it again. And when it comes back, do it again. And when it comes back, do it again until you're released from that fear. Now, fear and common sense are two different things. So if you know something's going on in somebody's, in your life that you really love, and you can't do anything about it, you don't have to worry about that. you got to pray about it. Right? That's the antidote for fear is prayer. Full on, straight ahead, God, you got this. You got, I know you got this, and I'm just going to trust you. 
And man, when you begin to pray about those areas of your life that you're fearing in, at some point, God just gives you that peace. Remember we talked about the, the phrase praying through? Anybody remember that? That's an old, old Christian phrase. That, you know, prayer's a lost art in the church, unfortunately. Not this church. I know all of you pray without ceasing. Praying through meant simply getting alone with God and praying until not necessarily that God changes the circumstance, but He changes your heart. And if you're fearful about things, try that. Just try, try getting alone with God and just praying. And face life in bravery and courageousness knowing that God's got your back. And when situations don't work out the way that you maybe think they should have worked out, God will explain that to you one day when you meet Him face to face. But meanwhile... Our responsibility is to just seek God and pray and pray and pray and work and pray. Good? Salty life. Last thing, if you're serving communion, you can be dismissed right now. David lived a salty life by being loyal. I would submit to you today that just as being obedient to those in authority is kind of a lost art these days, loyalty is in that same vein. I did a wedding Friday night, and a lot of times when I do weddings, I'll talk about a covenant and a contract. A covenant and a contract. And our world operates on contracts. And what a contract says is if you do what you said you were going to do, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. But the moment you don't uphold your end of the contract, I'm out, baby. I'm out. That's, that's what happens in a lot of marriages. I mean, it's like, well, they said they were going to do this, and they didn't do it, so I don't have to do it. A covenant says I'm going into covenant with you, and a biblical covenant says through the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. A covenant says, I don't care how bad you mess up, I'm going to keep loving you. I am going to be loyal to my dying day. I'm pretty sure that's a country song somewhere, right? (laughs) It's got a dog in there somewhere. Yeah. I'm going to be loyal. And that's what God did for us through Jesus Christ. He came into covenant with us through Jesus' death on the cross. Now watch this. 1 Samuel 20, 41 through 42. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Verse 42. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever." Then David left and Jonathan went back to town. Let me catch you up. Saul is Jonathan's father, who is the king, who is wanting to kill David because he is so jealous of God's favor on David's life. Jonathan and David are best friends. And David says, Jonathan, your dad's trying to kill me. Jonathan says, no way my dad's trying. My dad loves you. No, he's trying to kill me. And Jonathan says, no, no, he loves Yes, he is trying to kill you and so uh, uh, me. And so then Jonathan says, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back, and I'm going I'm to do like a, a little intel mission for you. 
and I'm going to come back out, and if you're right, I'm going to shoot these arrows. I can't go into all that. But it turns out Jonathan realizes, oh, my goodness, my dad's trying to kill my best friend. You should read the Bible, man. This is good stuff. My dad's trying to kill my best friend. And David says these words. He says to him, look, as God's our witness, no one, nothing's going to come between us, not even our families. And we're going to talk about this next week. But you go down the line, and David actually looked for descendants of Jonathan and Saul that he could be kind to. So here's David, loyal David. Loyal David. Now, you look at this covenant they're making together, and it's before God, and you think, Saul's the wrong one. Jonathan's on the wrong side. So, so David is free to do whatever he wants to because he's trying to save his own life. David's hanging out in the desert of the, the, the mountains of Engedi, right in that area, and he's being hunted by Saul. Saul goes into a cave to take a pee or to relieve himself. I'm sorry. We all do it. It's not, it's not awkward. I hope you do. The sour face. Anyway, so Saul goes in, and here's David. David's hiding out in the cave that Saul went in. You talking about a test from God? David's so loyal. He is so absolute loyal. He could have walked up behind. And even David, Abishai, all those guys, his armor bearers are going to kill him. Kill him. Kill him now. Surely God has delivered him into your hands. Surely God has delivered him. Kill him right now, David. We can all go back and we can get something good to eat and stop living in these caves. Would you please kill him? David remembers the covenant with Jonathan. No harm between our families. None. David wouldn't do it. In our culture today, we would look at that and go, he's an idiot. Right? And we could even twist, outside the covenant, we could twist, oh, God delivered him into your hands. And that's what his men said. But he had made a covenant between him and Jonathan, and God was the glue of that covenant. He was, he was the glue of that covenant. And, and David refused. Who, he says, who should touch the Lord's anointed? Obedience breeds favor. Favor breeds bravery and courageousness. And you come all the way to the place. If you're living a life with those three things in your life, loyalty is just going to be a byproduct, byproduct of it. Be brave enough to work out that relationship problem. Be brave enough... And just let God's favor rest on you through being obedient to God's word. You want to talk about loyal. can't talk about loyalty in the Bible without talking about Jesus. Jesus is in the garden. And he says those, those famous words that most of all of you know. And he just cries out to God and says, Look, if there's a way that this cup can pass from me, please let it be so. But not my will. God, Father, Dad, your will be done. In other words, I really want out of this situation, but I'm going to be loyal to your destiny for my life so the humanity that you created could be restored back to you. Talking about living a salty life. So there's two questions as we, we, before we have a communion, as we part ways today, there's two questions. One is maybe you're here and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior 
And there's some areas that you could be more obedient in and listen to the voice of the Spirit in your life. Therefore, the favor rests on your life. And maybe there's some giants in your life that you need to be brave and courageous towards. And then maybe you could be a little bit more loyal. Not to a fault, not not to be a doormat, but just to do what God's called you to do for people around you. And the second question is, maybe you're here today, you don't really understand salty life because you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You'd say, you know what, I... I realize, I feel God knocking, maybe like uh, tons of people in the first service, you feel God knocking on your heart. You need a fresh start. You need a starting point. You need to go forward today knowing that God is on your side and that his favor is resting on you through what Jesus Christ did for you. And and you, you realize that right now. Can I tell you, salvation is nothing more. It's a faith issue. And it's when you open your heart and put your faith in the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so you put your faith in Jesus and you confess from your own heart. Now, here's the deal. Nobody can put your faith in something for you. Nobody can. The Bible says we're all born with a measure of faith. It's your faith and you get to decide what you do with that faith. But I can tell you, as many people in this room can tell you right now, I would just encourage you to assess that faith. And if you do need a change in your life and you realize today that, that you know, if you died tonight or something bad happened that you're not sure that you'd meet God, the only way that you can be assured of that is by putting your faith in Jesus. Would you bow your head all over this place? Nobody moving around unless they have to. Everybody's head's bowed. So those of us who need to live a more salty life, we just pray today, Father, that you would challenge us to be a light in our community, to make people thirsty for living water in whatever, whatever, that way, whatever way that takes shape in our life. But if you're here today and you say, I need Jesus Christ in my life. I need a change. I need a fresh start. If that's you, just slip your hand right up and put it back down. I see your hand. Anyone else? I, yeah, that's awesome. Anyone else? Say, I, I, I need that. I need that in my life today. I need Jesus. Thank you. I see your hand in the back. It's awesome. I want to pray with you right where you're sitting. Right where you're sitting. And after we get done having communion, would you go out to the tent and get a Bible and a devotion? If you want to talk with someone, you can. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can email the church, starting point at thecoastlinechurch.com, and we'll we'll get a pastor to email you back with some good stuff that will help you on your journey. But Right, right where you're sitting right now, just pray this with me. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for chasing me. And right now, I'm confessing in my heart that I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he took my death and sin on the cross. I believe with all of my heart that they placed him in a grave. He rose from that grave on the third day. And that he is in heaven today praying for me. And I believe with all my heart he's coming back for me one day. So right now, God, would you just flood my my soul and my heart with your love and your grace and your mercy through what Jesus Christ has done for me. Thank you again, God, for loving me so much that you found me and I found you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, again, go out to the tent if you raised your hand. We're going to have communion.